Wardcast episode 84. Go! Hello, Mason. Hey, Dylan. Mason, Mason Brown. That's me. It's been a while. It's been a while. How have you been? I've been good. These past since PAX is the last time we had you on. Did we do a PAX cast? Well, we did the oh the, the panel, uh, the panel, the panel. Yeah. Right. This kind of right, you know sorry. the panel, which is the reason we have the guest on. And yeah, I'll right. get into it. Oh, Never mind. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Um, Got it. And noted. And also, uh, Dan Cotting. Hello, Dylan. Who? Hey, what's going on, buddy? Not much. Fresh off his uh, soon-to-be Mason and Dan soon-to-be graduated from Brand Center. Yes. Yep. Happiest Almost, place on earth. Almost uh, wrapped up our master's degree in, in yep forty eight hours. hours and ready That's it. That's to it. get back into the workforce. Down to the wire. And then special guest today, Sean Patton. Hello, hello. From Shell Games. How are you? I'm doing quite well. Thanks for having me on. No problem. Yeah, so uh, so a little lead into that. Dan, I believe, was the one that kind of broached the the Shell Games and the I Expect You to Die uh, booth at PAX East because we had our panel talking about hidden gems. Ooh, yeah. yeah. And then, I, uh, I ended up talking with a gentleman by the name of uh, Phil, I believe. Yeah, yeah, Phil Cohen, sure. And uh, Phil was showing <laughs> off what you guys have been sure. working on. There's no Phil here. Just, I, you just made up that made up that name. So, uh, yeah, so I was definitely digging it uh, back then. I, I guess it was um, uh, March. Yeah. An eternity yeah. ago. So, um, so I got really excited about the work that you guys were doing and, and have been doing uh, during that time. And, uh, yeah, so I was really excited to, to talk to you about it then and uh, even more excited now to talk to you about it today and what you guys have been doing. Awesome. Yeah, I'm glad you're liking it. We're having a lot of fun making it. So that definitely shows. Yeah. So Dan's kind of our resident VR expert because uh, both he and Mason went to the Brand Center and uh, where they did UX and UI design okay. there. But uh, Dan kind of focused primarily on VR. Do I have that right, Dan? Uh, yeah. Yeah. VR I guess, man. I guess it's been about a, a year now since I really dove in and uh started getting really focused on full-blown sixed off uh vr and that's uh that's been my focus i guess ever since just really uh trying to look and investigate at that uh, ux and ui in the 360 in the vr space and and sean i thought it was important to have you on because we've we've interviewed uh indie developers before so usually like two or four man teams you know we've had henry hoffman on he was a developer on hue we had the uh, ultimate chicken horse nice uh guys on or rich from ultimate chicken horse um but you work at a much much larger scale developer you know shell i think we watched that gdc talk that you and jesse put yeah. on from last year's mm-hmm. gdc and i think jesse said something to the effect of like you guys have 100 people yeah yeah we uh we have about 105 right now i think somewhere in there and and I followed Shell Games since um because I've read uh, Lenses mm-hmm. is Jesse's yep. Shell Books game design yeah. book, and that that's like the the Bible on game design for a lot of yeah you know oh us. no I'm happy to hear it I mean it's a he, he did it he knocked it out of the park with that one and we we have those uh, the deck of lenses cards like we have them in our conference rooms we use them for brainstorming and things like that really so that book's incredible cool. that's pretty cool yeah I mean uh, of the people so we definitely like shell games so we've been around 
uh, this is this will be my thirteenth or so year here that I'm just completing, and uh, which is like in the game industry to be at a game company for, for 13, thirteen years, years, man, that's incredible. It's like unheard of. So I was one of the original five. Okay, uh, it was Jesse, myself, uh, engineer Jason Pratt, uh, Reagan Heller, and uh, Patrick McKiernan, and um, and you know we've we've grown from yeah five to one hundred five in in thirteen fourteen years, and. Um, it's been great. The VR is definitely a focus for us right now, and we've we've loved VR. Like, um, I don't know. I'm just I'm just jumping into things. I don't I don't want to. No, go man, go. Let's jump in. That's uh, what we're here for. So I was first introduced to VR back in 2001 at Carnegie Mellon University in Pittsburgh uh, with the Building Virtual Worlds class uh, that a professor uh, Randy Pausch, he was the co-director of the program along with the guy Don Marinelli. That was back in 2001. So I was the third graduating class that you could get a master's degree in entertainment technology. Who knew? Um, <laughs> but Randy was definitely huge into VR and, and the Building Virtual Worlds class was so wonderful because it was the first time that I had like really been exposed to sort of bringing all the disciplines together. You know, you've got your engineers, your artists, your designers, uh, your audio people, and, you, and just everyone come together, work on a common thing. It just happened to be in VR, which is insane looking back at it because, <laughs> my God, like the technology back then, we had, you know, three, you know, two, uh, 320 by 240 uh, displays with, you know, re That's crazy. refresh rates of 20 if you were, were lucky, you know. Were people just um, like nauseated all the time? I Vectors mean, it was everywhere. a concern. <laughs> you had to be really careful back then. Uh but yeah, no, it was uh, it was an exciting time, certainly. And so, and then you know, Jesse took over teaching that class uh, from Randy, and he's been teaching it for years. And so, when we started to see consumer VR hardware that was that was coming out that was going to be really high quality, we were really excited as a studio. That's cool. So you kind of got to go back to kind of a a previous love, a previous experience. Yeah. No, for sure. You had way back then. That's pretty cool. Is that uh, the entertainment technology? Is that still a, a field or a track in Carnegie Mellon, or have they since like renamed no, it? No, no, the Entertainment Technology Center, uh, the ETC for short, is still going ETC? strong. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, the classes are. When I was in there, so I was the third class. We only had sixteen people. I think the classes are now more on the order of sixty people. But uh, uh, but it's still a great program and. Um, sort of you know i meet up with a lot of my old uh, classmates at, at the game developers conference in san francisco every year we swap stories and uh yeah it's a great time so a lot of them a lot of them are still in game design yeah yeah the etc at least when i was there there was like you were going to go into video games you were going to go into 3d film or you're going to go into like interactive museum exhibits and like we do some of that here at shell frankly uh but uh yeah. But mainly it's video games, right? And um Right. And I think that still holds true. And uh yeah, I mean we've we've when we started out, we definitely hired a lot of uh, people coming out of the ETC. I think now I, I did a recent tally. I think maybe we're now like thirty percent, maybe forty percent. No, maybe thirty percent uh ETC grads. But uh Wow. But it's, That's pretty it's cool. just a great resource here in Pittsburgh. So Sean, uh, let me let me ask you. Yeah, please. Given that that history that you have here with VR, you're saying it was 2001. One, yeah. Okay, that's that's crazy. Um, so 
seeing these consumer headsets come out and, you know, everything from cardboard to, you know, the big guys with Rift and Vive and all that stuff. What can you describe what the last 16 years have been like? Um, was it like 16 years ago, you were looking at this and saying, you know, man, is this going to be a thing that, that people have in their homes and we're actually going to be able to design things for, uh, or is it more of a recent thing where you said, Oh, actually, you know, I, I think we can make something that's consumer driven and we can put it out there. What, what's that timeline been like for you? Um, I mean, it's interesting. So Jesse talks a lot. So he worked at uh, Walt Disney Imagineering. That's actually where I met him. I did an internship there when he was still at Imagineering before he became a professor at CMU and before he started Shell Games. And so he had done virtual reality projects with Imagineering for things like, um, oh man, I'm totally blanking on it. Sorry, Jesse. Uh, but the, the, the Disney <laughs> sort of the, the VR theme park, right? Whereas, which was a uh, Disney quest. There mm -hmm. you go. And so you would go in there and they had like the Aladdin ride and they had other uh, VR rides, but they were run off, you know, multiple tens of thousands of dollars, Silicon graphics machines with these giant headrests that had to be supported by wires because they were so heavy. They would like hurt people's necks. And even in your talk, you had the picture of the headset that looked like the old, um, like Renaissance doctors, like the, exactly. way it's out. A big nose. That's, what we, that's what they had back then. <laughs> I mean, it's great. The one that I used in building virtual worlds in 2001 is the uh, is the exact same headset that is briefly shown in the classic 1995 film masterpiece Hackers. I don't know if you're familiar with that movie, but one of the best movies ever yeah. made. Yes, no names, you. no names. I require people to watch that every year at Shell Games. Um, it's Absolutely required <laughs> watching, but no. So, and it's just it's hilarious because it was like such low resolution, such low frame rate, huge mm -hmm. magnetic trackers. I don't know why I'm making hand motions. This is a podcast, but uh, but for those magnetic, listening, huge hands, helps huge, huge hand magnetic <laughs> trackers, hands out, out to space, He's motioning all and over it's himself. It's like it's so expensive. Like no, no way anyone would ever install this. Like <laughs> Disney can barely install this stuff, right? And so it's like to think of it now, where no, I can go out and get like amazing, you know, tech. And really, it was the uh, the cell phone markets, right? The crazy. The crazy driving down of the costs of the quality screens and the processing and you know people picked up on that and they were like no we can do this now now is the time and it's just really exciting that vr has had such an amazing resurgence yeah it's great and uh given that given all of this technology coming down to such an accessible level um where do you see all of that going? Where do you see us being able to use this technology? Uh, I figure we'll talk about all the big picture stuff now, and then we'll get into I Expect You to Die, because I know we're all really excited to talk to you about that. But where do you see this technology going? Whether it's uh, what you're working on now at Shell, or what maybe some other studios are working are working on, and, and is there a short-term or long-term viability for this medium? Yeah, no, as far as I'm concerned, BR is here to stay, right? It is a new platform, uh, just like mobile was a new platform, just like uh, you know the, the social social networking video games, you know Facebook games became basically a new platform, right? It, it's not gonna it's not gonna kill consoles, it's not gonna kill mobile gaming. It's just a new platform. It's here to stay, and it's gonna become more and more prevalent as people get these devices in their homes, as sixed off becomes more prevalent. Uh, a lot of the mobile things that are going on right now are very exciting. I think I think mobile will be seeing mobile VR will be seeing. 
you know, the doffs create cre- creep up as it were. <laughs> I don't I don't know what four doff would be, but you know, web VR is also getting closer with the the interaction from the controllers and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And I think and that that's what's going to, you know, it's going to hit its tipping point where it's cheap enough, it's easy enough, I can demo it quickly enough. And cuz once you demo VR, right? Like you're hooked. Like I've never That's seen the a buy-in like, right there. Maybe I've seen one person out of hundreds who I've seen demo VR have been like, "Nope, it's not for me." Like people are amazed by this because it's so cool, it's so immersive, and you know, it's just yeah, it's it's gonna be great. I'm 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 really glad that you said that it was an additional platform and not a replacement platform yeah. for like current uh, like consoles and things like that because. I really appreciate where VR is right now and where the the potential it has to go, but I'm not a big VR person. Every time I use it, I really enjoy it. But obviously, Dan is much more bought in, like, and it's really cool how bought in uh, he is, and like all this investment, all this excitement around it. But as a developer, I don't know if it's personally the kinds of projects that I would want to tackle. Yeah, for the most part. So, but I remember when smartphones became very prevalent. That there was this kind of everyone was convinced that smartphones were just going to replace PC consoles, just everything, yeah. just because of the the proliferation of of smartphones. And I think people uh, learned from that and kind of know better now because obviously smartphones didn't replace consoles. You could see with like the last console generation that smartphones were not a replacement. Yeah. And and so I think it's good that VR tries to see what VR can do best and hit that really hard and not try to be like, okay, we want to do what all the other platforms are doing, but better, and we could do it better. I know we can. Yeah, well, and I think a, a big part of that too is this idea of how do these different media fit into different parts of our lives? And then now it gets back to, and this is where I'd love to go next with you, Sean, um, is this idea of how do we design differently? How do we change our design considerations going forward in this media? Um, and you know, you mentioned specifically immersion and I, I think watching that VRDC talk, um, one of the biggest ideas that stood out to me was this idea of, uh, presence versus gameplay and, um, specifically that with mm-hmm. VR, uh, designing with VR, you have to have presence, uh, and you can have crappy gameplay as long as you have this good presence. Yeah. Um, whereas if you have good gameplay, but no presence was the point, right? Why are you doing it there? And I, so I'd love to get your thoughts on that. Um, because that to me is, is so much of what we do as designers for immersive media. It's about finding ways to use this new medium with its constraints and its affordances. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we've never had that before. It's how is it, how do you go about thinking about something like that? So for example, with, with, I expect you to die. What was there a moment where you said, you know what, this could be a great 2d experience, but man, it could be an amazing 3d experience. Um, if you had that, what, what is that process like? And, and how do you go about making that decision even? Yeah, no, I can definitely speak toward that because it's interesting. So I Expect You to Die started as uh, some, basically some input prototypes. And at the very beginning, I wasn't even on it. Uh, you know, uh, Jason, Matt, some some of these guys were just, you know, these, these consumer headsets are coming out. That seemed pretty clear. You know, we had our DK1 in-house of uh, the Oculus. And it's like, okay, 
What does everybody have? Everybody has a keyboard and a mouse. Great. Well, okay, keyboards suck in VR because um, you can't see the keys. Uh, does a mouse suck in VR? What would that be like? And so, you know, our first prototypes were, can we get a VR interface with a mouse that felt good? And we sort of landed on this thing where, you know, you have a reticle, uh, sort of an aiming device, and it moves with your mouse, and you can pick up certain things. And sort of the, the breakthrough for us was like, oh, I can have that third degree uh, by using the scroll wheel to bring things in and out with this, like, what we call the telekinesis beam. We didn't really even know what that was right. at that point. But, and the, the thing that really clicked was because I was actively moving my hand in 3D space to move the mouse, our brains do this crazy thing where it's like, yeah, it's now, you know, I believe it. I believe I'm reaching around and I can scroll things in and out. And just like, it was crazy how intuitive a mouse control scheme was. And we're like, this is it. We got to do it. We got to make a demo. And we made this demo and, uh, and uh, it was this like library and we put it up on Oculus Share it and no one noticed. And we're like, oh man, that's such a bummer. <laughs> So that's that's the indie dev life right there. Yeah, no, for sure. And we were like, wow, like it's such a great control scheme. Like, let's try it again. Let's try it again. So we so that's when I came on and some other people came on and we we tried it again with some more cohesive puzzle and we upped the graphics a little and made it a little slicker. And that's what turned into the the car on the plane level. And we put that demo up on Oculus Share. And it shot to the highest rated, and it stayed there for seven months until they took Oculus Share down. And we're like, well, that one seems like... And it was crazy, because at first it was like... we. I actually moved on to a different project. I moved on to Water Bears VR, which was... And that's the other side of the coin, right? Whereas I expected it, I was created purely for VR. Water Bears started as uh, you know an iOS and Android app, a 2D app that we had made. Uh, and it sort of could teach systems thinking if, if used in the classroom and had this curriculum behind it, all these different things. And we're like, well, but it's really fun to play with these 3D characters. 3D characters in VR, we suspected would be really awesome. Uh, and then, you know, when the when the first Vive came thing out when the uh, with the robot that got really close, and we're like, yeah, like that, that's a powerful moment. So we we wanted, to, and it's like, well, do you port? Some, I'm using air quotes. Do you port something to VR? No, you do not. Like if you are porting something to VR, you are doing it wrong. Like you need to reimagine it for VR, right? Leverage the strengths. Because if you're just porting it, like why not just keep it on the original thing? And so when we did Water Bears on VR, we rethought all the, you know, the first introductory puzzles. We rethought the entire interface, of course, right? Like we rethought how do we how do we tell people what to do? How do we telegraph what they can do? How do we interact with these characters in a better way? And so I was working on Water Bears VR as this demo was getting all this attention, and we're like, well, we're gonna need to make that a real game. And so like, um, so then I actually, you know, we we sort of handed off Water Bears VR, and I went back to I Expect You to Die. At some point, it was a very convoluted development history of I Expect You to Die. Yeah, I think uh, Water Bears is the one I saw first because I think I saw the the giant bomb video of them playing it. Yeah, and it was really cool, like watching like the way they they interacted with that, and then even they mentioned that it was originally a smartphone app, like you said, yep. and like trying to conceive of like, okay, how would this come across like in a different platform? Because on here it makes a whole lot of sense, but like 
on 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 a smartphone where like you were saying it was originally conceived and like all the problems are so different right it's like water bears on the on the tablet it was like oh you know what what rotates a piece like is it tapping is it swiping like all these like hard problems to solve with how to rotate a piece in vr you just pick it up and you rotate it with your with your hands right <laughs> but then there's other hard problems like what's a ui like like <laughs> it's like and then uh, yeah no i uh, what i well that's what i think for me personally is super exciting is as a ux ui guy it's like how do we change the way that we've been thinking about things how do we think about what what was ui on a 2d screen yeah. and suddenly maybe we don't even need a menu anymore maybe it's physical objects you know skeuomorphism 2.0 um what is it that we're doing here and you know, we're suddenly in a 3D space and everything's different. And, uh, yep. you know, and then, of course, directing the user around the space. How do we get them to focus on different things? Um, it's it's really just a fascinating area. And I think it's it's exciting as a designer in that space uh, right now because we don't know. And, and we get to make that, you know, we get to play. We get to be the people who decide what's best and we get to test those things. And. Uh, I also love, I know Mason was super excited about your idea um, of brown boxing. Uh, and I know we've done yeah. some of these tests, but just this, how are we actually testing and iterating on this design process? Because um, I think that's fascinating too. Uh, like you said, um, you know, there's such a different way of how we think about these things. Well, and the really scary part is some of these, you know, uh, some of these things that we're putting into place now will become the new standards, right? Like, I know, I know. I love the alchemy guys. They share all their stuff, and scary. they always talk about the exit burrito. And I think really that's like physical. You know, I don't know if the, the burrito itself maybe doesn't fit into every genre, but uh, but I love the physical interfaces. Like with water bears, you know, it's like, oh, how do we select which level? What if we could have a snow globe with each level, and you pick the, you know, you look at the level in minute detail, and then it's like, yeah, that's the level I want to go to. Boom! Not only does it telegraph what level you're going to very clearly, but it's a physical thing. It's fun. It's a toy. You can throw it. Like you know, it's just like, and with I expect you die, of course. Like our whole, our whole thing with the original demo was like, the mouse interface, like, it, it's so funny. We went from such an intuitive interface to then you add the the awesomeness of the six degrees of freedom in the hands, but it upped the the confusability of our interface so much. Like the first demo, we just put a single card in front of the start button and like to start the game you you had to pick it up and move it and that's all you needed to know so like that was the entire tutorial was a single right. card laying on the briefcase right <laughs> like uh and then fast forward to now we've got seven different control schemes we support right and <laughs> it's just insane like the robust you know and you know we're right to do it again uh, i've got i've got some thoughts on that too but like you know <laughs> it's just it just be you know it's just every every new challenge right it's just fascinating well and and one thing that i really enjoyed about i expect you to die is that everything you guys present in that experience is contextual to where you are like in the yep. car demo all the tutorialization is done through cards that are in the car and like there's no prompts there's no 2d prompts it's very you you pick everything up to yeah. interact with and then that was a very clear decision on your part and i think that's really true to what vr offers yeah no it was really important to us to keep that and and even it's so it's a in case you don't know what i expect you to die is it's a virtual reality escape the room game set with a spy <laughs> motif 
Um, but yeah, so I'll cut that. I'll cut that part. Intro. One that of the best intros I've ever so seen. Period. Like I oh, love the intro so, so much, so dude. Good. Oh my Shout god! Out and to I want to I want to spend at least one minute telling you how fucking amazing I thought the intro was because it just. The the intro alone was worth the price. <laughs> oh, totally. And we talk like, about interactive uh, design all the time, but that that was an uh, example of 360 design, immersive cinema for all the style. for all the immersive just, storytellers out there uh, that are listening. Like that is how you do that. That's how you do immersive 360. Mm, it's really funny. And it just felt right because watching like after I watched it, I was like, of course you would do this. <laughs> like why wouldn't you do a James Bond esque intro cinematic for a spy thriller VR game? So good. It was so good. This one's like 10 times better than any of the James Bond ones. And the song's amazing. That song that you guys made, I don't know how you guys uh, got that done, but that well, was incredible. So, so, I mean, all of that, all of that stemmed out of, stemmed out of uh, Connor Fallon, one of the designers on the project. He, th- that was a side thing. Like, he, he actually wrote a really great article on Gamasutra.com that you can check out um, about how that sort of came to fruition because that, that started out as a bug in his head that he sort of worked on on his own. Then he sort of brought in some of our audio people. You know, he he had like a, I think in the article he links to a, an early cell phone recording of him like singing. <laughs> I don't know if it was in the shower, maybe it was in the car, but it was like, no offense, Connor, but your, your singing voice is not the best. But uh, it was Aww. hilarious to see how that <laughs> evolved and then took on more people. He had a vision. And when we showed it to Jesse, it was like this big moment because it was like, like we would need to we would need more budget if we were going to do this well and this is this you know mm-hmm. one of our self-funded projects and shell games does a lot of client work to sort of fund these self-funded projects and so they do have budgets and it's very much like you know is this going to add enough that it's worth doing and you know we made the decision that yeah like we think it is and so we put on some more people and we extended some things and pushed out some things and and got it in there and it has been really well received like art of the title like did a thing on it you know people are loving it you got that's I'm awesome glad, i'm I glad love that you guys are loving it um yeah well and um and i think one of the reasons i'm really glad mason brought up the title uh you know i could geek out over the interaction design uh for example the teleportation of items i just love um but i also want anyone listening here uh who just likes to play games to know that you can go into this and if you've played some of these VR demos that they feel like demos, this is not a demo. Uh, this is a fully blown out, full-fledged game. It's got cinematics and sound design and art direction uh, and interaction design and, and, and everything. Yeah, it's, it's everything you could possibly room. want. And then the game mechanics are so well thought out. And of course, uh, as I said, the interaction design, the UX UI that I happen to love. Um, I mean, honestly, it's all there. The whole package is there. So um, <laughs> I guess shameless plug alert. But uh, really, it is just a fantastic, fantastic game. Uh, and you should definitely download it. No, I'm, I'm blushing over here. This is great. <laughs> really, well, I, I mean it. It it is fantastic, and uh, and I espouse. I mean, being in VR for only about a year now versus your what sixteen years. Well, <laughs> I think I think what I've seen. Yeah, there are years. a few things that I point to. Things like Valve's the lab. Things like Google's Tilt Brush that we look at as great UX and UI in VR. UX case studies. Yeah, and and you guys have now presented that, and and on top of that. Um, you've just got this amazing amount of polish that makes it so enjoyable and wonderful. And I think everyone should go out and just, just go out and buy it. <laughs> we've even got, we've even got commentary bubbles you can turn on. 
<laughs> oh, I didn't know about that. That's awesome. There's Easter eggs plenty in that game. But what I what I also like because I think with the title sequence because immersion is so important to everything in VR. And there's this narrative of the, the the spy theme and everything you're doing. And when you go through that title sequence, you feel like you're in the spy narrative. And I think in terms of storytelling in VR, these little quirks that have happened in film or in prologues and narr- in prose before, like I think you guys have that with this this visual experience that sets you up like, oh, I'm in a spy film. I'm in the spy thing. And that's so important for VR for the storytelling element. Because when you're sitting in that car and you're escaping the airplane, all of a sudden you're like, I'm a spy. Yeah. Because you went through the song and you went through the, or the, I guess you go through, you, you end up in the office yeah, first. Yeah, I know, but it, it's, it's all very much intertwined. I mean, the, uh, it's, it's true, right? Like, and, and, and you meant, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of demos out there. Some are great. Some are not so great. And, um, we wanted you to be in our world and, 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 you know, that, that's what that was there for, right? Like after you do the title sequence, you're ready. You are a spy. You're in the world. You've got the aesthetic. You know. You you, you know. Like okay. Like, like let me do this thing, right? Like people come out of that raring to go on the first mission, and so. Well, and yeah. I think there's a lot of parallels to improv warmups to what you do for VR introduction. Interesting, yeah. Where you get people in the sensation of of interacting in a certain way and feeling a certain way because VR is so emotional that it's it's that same thing where you're you're willing to kind of sacrifice yourself a little bit for the experience so that you kind of break those barriers down. And I think you guys do that with that intro. And what Dan and I do a lot for what we're working in is, is not as entertainment focused, but we have to think about how to get people to feel that way in VR. And I think that we would point to your intro and, and we're not afforded the, the, the nice, I don't know, Dan, you can speak more to it, but we're in more like enterprise solutions for yeah, we, VR. We create uh, <laughs> virtual tools. It's a little um, less sexy. You, you were talking before about education. I think what you guys do at Shell, um, not necessarily just with your self-funded games, but some of your client work that I, th- I think you understand. And I love battle trains. I love Lionel battle trains. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> battle I'm a big fan. I'm a big so, fan. Uh, I think you understand how the work that, that we do can be leveraged as a tool. And understanding these things, uh, and again, to Mason's yeah. point about immersion, feeling like you're there. And, you know, one of these things that stands out to me about, I expect you to die, uh, is in, um, the second mission and, uh, quick spoiler warning for anyone listening. Um, Mm -hmm. when you're suddenly forced to pick up the spray bottle and the squeegee, that's the kind of thing in 2d design. You'd almost feel like, okay, why am I doing this? But man, in 3d design, you're like, yeah, I'm picking up that bottle. I'm picking up that squeegee, right. I'm cleaning this glass. Um, and you actually enjoy, you know, doing these things. Um, <laughs> you're cleaning the glass. Uh, and, and I think, I think that's a testament to, and then you break, <laughs> then the, you window. break the window. <laughs> um, I have broke so many windows in this game. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Cause well, just, cause touching on what Dan said, like how you, you, and this idea of presence and this idea of like you have a different concept it, it's you're not seeing a gun in a ui in like resident evil or prey or something you're like you're physically holding a gun object in your hand and you and you have that coordination like the distance between your body and where the gun is in virtual space like mason and i the first thing we did when we were in the office we picked up the gun and then we immediately pointed at our head pulled the trigger and see what would happen that might speak more to us Dylan. well i'm just saying that like well, and then we've also we have familiarity with like the the super hot VR yes. experience and like yes. what it does there. Yeah. Um, 
but like you, you you're kind of making these assumptions and I, and it's really fascinating but like also in the first uh level where you're in the car and you know it's like all right i need a screwdriver to open this up i need a screwdriver to open up the panel to to get into the mechanism yeah. to launch the missile to bust open the door and then you turn to the left and there's a screwdriver like right there on the counter on the other side of the window and you see all the gas pumping in and you're just like <laughs> fuck it and you just shoot the window yeah. out and i did that like five times <laughs> because i was like okay maybe you shot the oh i didn't know yeah. i shot the window out so many times i wrote it down well yeah like I, eventually i figured out that you mm-hmm. you could do that after you got through one a certain game well it, it should in, be clear in, in you the shot puzzle. the window out but you did die from the gas <laughs> I did that die is, from the that gas. That is not a valid solve. Because because he expects you to die. <laughs> I was expected to die. Well, the, but another. Oh, no, no, no. Keep going. Well, what I wanted to ask was um, because you know this is kind of a new frontier and like you kind of have to throw a lot of assumptions away mm-hmm. from regular game design, regular UI UX design. Is there was this part in the first uh, mission in the car where there's um, audio recordings playing. Like there's basically like a voicemail box in there. And it's a lot of funny dialogue that's written in there that I really like, especially like the, uh, the hotel representative calling you back and apologizing for, you know, your poor experience (laughs) at the hotel. And I really liked it, but it's weird because it's so long and in a virtual reality game, you're kind of like fidgeting. (laughs) Like you like what, what I like, I really like this dialogue. I don't want to skip it, but what do I do? Um, whereas in like, like Prey or Bioshock where there's like, uh, audio tapes, you know, you press play and it plays and you can walk around or at the very least you can put the controller down. Sure. You can have kind of this, kind of this separated experience where you're listening to the audio. And I had that same problem at the end of the mission when I finally figured out, cause like I said, I killed myself like 10, 15 times doing the first mission. I felt like an idiot. And when I finally busted open the door, yeah. Uh, to get the car out, I was like, "All right, let's go!" And I just slammed the gas. But your uh, the voiceover, the narrator, um, you're basically uh, M equivalent in this game. He's like talking to you, and he's like he's having a conversation with you. But I had already hit the gas, so the car just zooms off the back while he's like mid sentence. Gotcha. And, and I was kind of like, "Damn it!" Like I wanted I wanted to hear the rest of what he was saying because I was like really enamored with that character. And so like to that point, do you how do you treat that? That's a very uh, 2D or that's a very old game design problem. It's like gating someone uh-huh. so they listen to the voiceover over or something like that. But in virtual reality, that's kind of a, a problem you have to retackle. Oh man, and, and what what what's your opinion on that? There there are so many things I could unpack from what you just said. <laughs> uh, I, I first I just want to before we dive back into the car, I just want to say that. Um, levels where you have a gun you can shoot yourself in the head and go back to the office when you're in the office you try to shoot yourself in the head and nothing happens i trust me I, I don't i don't know if you felt disappointed by that i feel disappointed when people do it the reason that is is because when you blow yourself up you really want to see the explosion and we don't treat mm-hmm. blowing up deaths different than shooting deaths so like i feel like the perfect way to do that would have been it had a fade out and a fade in for the shooting death, but the blowing up deaths just sort of, you just want to see everything explode. The reason I went back to that is because like you can never ship a game with no excuses. Like development time just runs out. But especially like a game like this where the where the interactions are so deep and like you want to support everything that a person does. Okay, so flash forward back to the car now. When you're talking about 
when do I interrupt the audio? When do I force you to listen to it, et cetera? One of the, one of the decisions we made in this game was that, uh, you know, you're going to die. We expect you to. <laughs> and uh, the goal there, so we sort of had these like, uh, these sort of pillars of design, right? That, that we wanted to um, support and s different game studios do this. We call them design pillars or, you know, so the ones for I Expect You to Die were, you know, believe you were there, layers of discovery, lead them to cleverness. And part of the lead them to cleverness sub goal was helpful deaths, right? So it's like, we have, like, I've seen people play and like very slowly, very methodical, thinking through everything and they don't die. And it's like, ooh, like, is that bad? Like, did they have a fun time? Like, yeah, they had a fun time. They were just like, <laughs> and you know, we, we try to telegraph everything at least in some way. So if you are one of those people who like, you feel really bad if like, you know, really like part of the death is like, you know, hopefully they're fun or funny and you hopefully learn something for your next playthrough. But the downside to that is, you know, do you feel bad that you now have to do everything over again? And so what as designers can we do? You know, do we have save points? Like, what does a save point even mean? Does it, everything that I lit on fire, is that now on fire again? Like, what if I burned a clue? Like, you know, how do we reset everything? So we took the stance that, you know what? Yeah, the level resets, but you can get back to where you are within seconds. And that's what allowed us to do like the speed runs, right? And so going right. back to the audio voiceovers again, like, yeah, you can like blow through some of them um, and sort of he'll interrupt himself and he'll catch up to where you are. And so sometimes it feels bad. I'm sorry you felt bad that you missed out audio. But at the same point, you can get back to that point in 30 seconds if you wanted. And here's right. again. <laughs> and I had that same revelation. Well, and and one thing I thought that you guys did that was really smart, and on, on the window cleaning, um, the, the level where you're breaking yeah. through the window, when you you break the window and the alarms start to go off and the mm -hmm. lasers show up, you can very quickly move through that sequence. Because at first I was frustrated by you. I'm like, oh, I have to go through this again. But then I realized you guys set up, you guys knew the player was going to go through this again. So you made it so that you could sk almost yeah. skip to like... And so to my question of that then... Are you designing these puzzles in like waves? Like, is there like phase one, phase two, phase yeah. three? Okay, well, okay, then that makes sense. Because oh, wait, that was you made it very easy to move from phase to phase. Yeah, sorry. So uh, that that was just a yes. I understand your question, but it's also oh, a yes oh, to the sorry. answer of the question. So <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I I know I'm moving at two things because like one thing I really appreciate is that once I learned that I could move out of a phase. And I learned that death was part of the player experience to move forward. I didn't mind. But at first, because I've been playing games for years, I'm like, well, shit, dude, I want auto saves. I want hold my hand. I want where's my tool tips, whatever. No, it, but I appreciated that you can move from phase. You can move from phase one to phase four very quickly. Yeah. So what was the how did you get to that point? Uh, yeah, it, it was a it was definitely a process like so sort of the, the different phases uh, are sort of the spy riffs as we call them. So I don't know if you, so when you, you know, when, when you're playing and you do something, sometimes you hear a right? Yes. And it's, it's, it sort of fades into the background. It's meant to be subtle. It's meant to sort of mixing to the, you know, the motif of the spy. Yeah. So those, those spy riffs are like, I have progressed the puzzle. 
Like that's I am on the right track, right? That's what that's meant to convey. Yes. And I think it I think it, you know, hopefully it does that. And those are the things that, you know, you can then, you know, once you know how to do it, you can progress to those spirifs and and that phase or that step of the puzzle very quickly. Um and so, you know, we had some ideas where it's like, oh, there's a conveyor belt and this thing comes by and you got to do the thing. But then it's like, nope, like that's a bad idea because the second, third, fourth time I'm doing that, I hate that effing, you know, conveyor belt because <laughs> I got to wait for it, you know. And so it's a very conscious decision to not have elements like that. And there's if, if you're doing something in one of our levels and it's taken forever, there's probably a faster way to do it. I'll just put that out there. Like I, you know, in 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 the third level, there's multiple ways to put fuel in that engine. Some are slower than others, um, and it, it's very interesting to see people who are doing the speed runs. Like we've got a couple of YouTubers who are really into the speed runs, and like I just like when you talk about the design of the level, we go through a bunch of different stages of coming up with a new level, and. Uh, as we're sort of coalescing the crazy blue storms into a sort of a player narrative, one of the things I will make sure, uh, you know, I'll write out, okay, these are the speed run steps as the puzzle currently stands. Do these feel good? Do these feel annoying? Is it, does it feel like a cop-out? Can I skip this part? You know, like, and so that's always in my mind as well as we're designing the new, you know, the levels. Um, and as a designer, how do you gauge annoying? <laughs> well, I probably play the levels more than anyone in existence. And so <laughs> I have That's I have true. definitely gotten a good idea of So he's permanently annoyed. I'm per no, no. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Like if I can still have fun playing the level, then I'm like, yeah, it's yes. good, you know? Like It's a good um, level. and things that are or or repetitive or that uh so I guess um yeah, real really like that's the the speed run sort of becomes the uh, maybe the benchmark or the ruler. Um, if you can't be doing something else while you're watching an animation of a missile being brought out, if I can't be doing something to prepare for the next step, that's probably bad. Like I want to constantly feel like I can be doing stuff, right? Even if there's an animation that plays and it's really cool to watch the first time, you know, maybe by the third, fourth time, it's not so cool to watch that animation. But if I can be setting up the next thing I need to do, then that's fine. Like, that's totally fine, right? That's sort of how I judge it. I don't know. Cool. For like, and especially for moving that phase to phase on death three or four, you want to be able to move through that animation when you've seen it, you know, four or yep. five times. Yeah. So I think it's really yeah. smart. Cool. You brought up something interesting about like speedrunners, and I'm thinking about something where, you know, being in this virtual space, if you're trying to grab onto two things at once, so like you're reaching towards, if you're in the car, for example, yeah. like, Say, say you're like you open up the glove box and then the bomb comes out of the compartment and so you want to reach for both things at the same time like i wonder how i mean have you seen an experience like that where people try to multitask to the idea of like they're using both their hands to do disparate things at one time just to speed up the play oh my gosh it, it's crazy like my best speed run time for the car was 23 seconds wow there is there is someone who does it in 18 like or 17 or it's just crazy and he's like 
uh, you know, he's he's got he's got hands, right? So that's the other thing was with <laughs> it's a requirement for <laughs> no, the game. No, 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 it, well, it's not a requirement because you, yeah, yeah, yeah. you can still use mouse, you can still use Xbox controller, you can still use the PS4, you know, the 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 PS4 controller. And the interesting thing was, we were like, oh, are we going to have sort of different speed run times for each thing? So basically, I can do the car with the Xbox controller which for me is the slowest controller, I can do that in under 35 seconds, right? Like we made sure that the speed runs, the lowest common denominator, which in general is the is the controllers, like the mouse is actually faster than the controllers um, for, for most people. But we needed to make sure that, so like, you know, we needed to make sure that the if I was using that controller, I could still have a good time and get that speed run. We, we sort of like, oh, should we have different times for each controller? But that was like a UI nightmare and like, Kind of like, we're just like, no, you're just going to feel more of a badass when you do it fast with hands. Like, that's fine. Like, mm-hmm. I did it in a, you know, a minute 43. I feel like a badass. Like, I beat that two-minute mark, no problem. Uh, These fast hands. And well, so, and, well, and I think back to the constraints of the medium, there's something to the presence and the immersion of feeling like you're actually leaning over to pick something up. Uh, that yeah. uh, And, of course, uh, you know, I think a speed run is, it's just, it's a different that's, way of thinking about the experience. Yeah, it's pushing it, right? <laughs> so, this is just, this is, a little bigger so you've been working with vr for a lot and one thing i've noticed and this is when i'm using vr i use my dominant hand a lot for interactions do you see that a lot in your testing or your interaction or do you see people using both hands or it it is um you definitely see it you we it's it's very important to us that you can use i mean it it, it's sort of stemmed from the the original mouse control but we quickly realized that you know it's it's really nice when you can play a VR title with just one hand, not just like right. I actually don't have full control of one of my hands, and so the fact that I can do everything with one hand is very important to me. Um, but it's like, yeah, I see a lot of dominant-handed people like they just use that one hand, like they like once in a while they'll use their other hand, right? But like, but then you see the, like yeah, the speedrunner people like they're using both hands constantly the entire time, like it's crazy, like <laughs> and. Uh, so it is. It is fun to see that that uh, the different ways people use it. But yeah, and I think it's cool. Like so, when you guys are creating your whether it's your design artifacts or your documents, are you making like all right? Xbox path is X Y Z, one hand path X Y Z, two hand. Or are you designing? Because you talk about lowest common denominator experience, and I think that's a really smart way to put it. How are you? How are you graphing that out, or is it kind of on the on the fly? Uh and, and, you know, lowest common denominator, like, I mean, it's still a great experience. Like, we wouldn't ship it if it wasn't still a great experience with a controller. Like, we, you know, um, so for all those, because you know, I know a lot of people are playing the, the PS4 version with the controller, right? And and, um, and it's still a great experience, uh, in, in my humble opinion. No, uh, but <laughs> we do think of it like there are some two-handed interactions, like, you know, we don't support... Um, pulling the lighter open, or sorry, uh, pulling the knife open with two hands, mainly because uh, it, it's like, there's some tech reasons, but also, you know, we really should, frankly, but <laughs> where, where well, am I going I with this? I'm getting off track. But like some of our things did, like we needed to make sure use worked, right? So you can pop the champagne with use, which is the right click or the button on the controller. But you can also use both hands and pop the cork, right? Like, 
Yeah, well, and I uh, I did so, use both yeah, hands. I mean, I was thinking, you know, if I'm going to open yeah, champagne, I, I think I I'm going to use hands two too. hands. <laughs> if you're playing with both hands, you're going to use both hands. But if you're playing with I a mouse, the you can right-click and pop it and still enjoy a drink. Right. You can right-click and it just tilts the bottle so you can pour it into a glass. Whereas if you're using hands, you just pour it into the glass, right? So I'm, I'm really glad you brought up the food thing. Uh, <laughs> because one of the things I noticed, because uh, this is what astounds me, is yeah. how intuitive certain things are. And this, oh, it's so great. Yeah, the sandwich in the second level where you open this yeah. box. Um, and I was watching Mason, yes. and I'd already played the second level when Mason played it. And I watched him immediately <laughs> open this box, grab the sandwich, and of course, he pulled it up to his face, and he ate it. And it's one yep. of these things where I'm thinking... You know, in more classic game design, you'd have to have the sandwich and then you'd prompt them to press a button uh, or you'd have to have a use button and it would animate to do it. And, you know, now we're we're doing this. We'd even animate. Yeah, we're doing it no. such an intuitive way now. And how do you build in some of those really native intuitive interactions that don't really they're not necessary, um, but they add so much to that immersion and presence? Um, what's that dialogue yeah. like? It, what? What's that conversation like when you're doing that? That, that uh, kind of stuff? so the short answer is playtesting. Um, so you you play it a lot yourself, of course. And at this point, I can predict a lot of things. Uh, but early on, <laughs> like years ago, right? Like it was like, no, you just do a lot of playtesting, and 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 you see what people try to do, and you ask yourself the question: Can we support that? If the answer is at all yes, then man, you really got to support it because when someone tries to do something and it doesn't work, it's it's the worst, right? And so sometimes it's like, oh, like if we supported that, it would blow the budget or it would require, you know, a, an animator for a month or like, it would, you know, like who knows, <laughs> right? So sometimes you can't support it, but you still want to acknowledge it. Like the whole like knife being used as a screwdriver thing was, uh, you know, we, we have a knife in the car. We want the knife to cut the wires on the bomb. Uh, we want screws. We want you to do the screw puzzle because it teaches you some other things and also helps the flow of the puzzle. But man, people really wanted to use the knife as a screwdriver. And it was like, okay, well, can we support that? And we thought about it and what it would take to change that and, and the puzzle rework. And it's like, it's really a better experience if we don't. But they're being clever. We want to support that. And so, you know, there's an audio that plays. Yes, I got that audio which too. Which is, I've seen you do many clever things with a knife, but I'm afraid turning screws won't be do. You know, and and um, and so that was a way to acknowledge your cleverness, which we always like to do, right? Like we 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 as much as possible, we want to acknowledge your cleverness. We actually had an audio for when you try to stick the knife in the ignition. Because people would try to hotwire it. I try. I try to do uh, that. But you as didn't well. hear anything, did you? And I apologize. There was sort yeah. of the steering wheel between the honking the horn and the key and the collision for the the glove carpet behind it. Like it was just like people were doing it by accident as they moved the knife around, and it was just being confusing. And so we're like, okay, in this case, it's less confusing to not have that audio. Because imagine if you just heard that audio and you weren't trying to hotwire the car, you'd be like, what the heck, what? And what, so going sometimes on we can't do it for technical or other reasons, but as much as possible, we try to do it, right? Um, the Yeah, so, uh, wow, I went off topic. What was the question? <laughs> no, 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 this is, this I th is good. I think that's a good tangent because um, <laughs> I, I, I was thinking about that too, and I was thinking, I mean, this is kind of similar to like the gating of the audio thing, but I was thinking, I was watching Mason play when he was in the office, and again, when he picked up the gun, he also tried to... 
shoot the start button for the projector yeah. to apply force to it to push it to depress it and i was like yeah that and and, and when it didn't work he was kind of like oh but and i was like yeah that would be a cool thing for it to do and then my mind immediately went to but then you would have to basically apply force to everything in this room in order to maintain that level in order to not get any sort of dissonance within the world yeah no it's a um it is surprising the cans of worms that are hidden everywhere uh (laughs) and it's like yeah now i can use it on every button on the radio right now i can use it on every button in the car i can honk the horn with my gun and it's just like well, yeah, and 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 sometimes we build those systems, right? Like, man, you can set fire to a lot of things, right? Oh, yeah, <laughs> and that feels great. <laughs> and it's like, you, you... Sean Shell Games, man, you can set fire to a lot of things. <laughs> well, that's the best thing about VR. You don't have to clean up after yourself. I can break all the bottles that, I want. Yes, I don't have to yes. get out the vacuum to vacuum up that glass, you know. <laughs> but it's like we had to pick our battles, sort of, and that's when you like like. And the alchemy guys say the same thing, right? Like when you have that depth of interaction, like we feel it's very important at Shell Games uh, to have that depth. And and there are like every time, you know, you can't support it. Trust me, it it it, it sticks a it sticks a knife in me every time someone tries to shoot that button and it doesn't work because you know you want it to work. And uh, like, is it crazy in real life? You'd probably destroy that button (laughs) just like you can shoot the you know you can shoot the retina scanner and it destroys that and that's a solve for that by the way oh i didn't know that i didn't know that that's incredible go try that um that's awesome but like and and that's actually a key to the speed run little little hint there shoot that Mm. retina scanner but um pro tip pro tip exactly i'm full of them but uh so like yeah if you try to do something and you can't I feel you. I'm sorry. It was probably a battle that unlocked too many worms and uh, or whatever that expression is. <laughs> so, yeah. but on that note, so because I think one thing that VR is difficult with, too, is that because it's so immersive and so interactive, you see these experiences that these, I don't know, immersion breaking points are a little more quick to get to. Because in, in Mario, you don't care if Mario can do certain things because Mario, he needs to run to the right and jump. Yeah, and we accept that, but there are also certain things that I, I think you guys did that are really smart that keep you in the experience that remove the tedium from it. So, like when I hold the screwdriver up to the screw, it automatically unscrews it. Yeah. How do, how do you guys go through and vet those decisions of like things that we take the tedium away from you? Yeah, yeah. Does the screwdriver that auto unscrews break the immersion? Uh, it's interesting. So our first prototype, you had to keep turning that sucker, and like you know. <laughs> Because I, I like that it auto unscrews, by the way. I, I think yeah, it's a smart no, move. Yeah, you, no, you and I think like the world. Because, man, was it annoying <laughs> oh, to have to unscrew that. I mean, part of it came right. from the mouse thing. Like, uh, mm-hmm. But even with hands, like we did have a version where you had to, you know, you keep, you know, turn it. And it's like, okay, well, that was too many times. Let's let's turn it, you know, maybe only have to turn it one and a half rotations. Does that, nope, that still sucks. Like, and it was just like... <laughs> Some of the things and, and the sort of the metric that we use for that, right, is if it is an action that you like, we know you have brought a screwdriver to that screw. We know you want to unscrew it. Like that is very clear. Uh, is unscrewing something in real life a pain? Yes. That's why we have electric screwdrivers. <laughs> can we, can we <laughs> yes. take that pain away and make it unscrew itself? 
yes, let's just do it. People will be happier, and they are, and it breaks the immersion less than having to, like, get my wrist exactly aligned and do it <laughs> multiple times. And it's like, so that's where we look for it, right? And uh, if, if it's something we know you want to do, and it's kind of annoying in real life. Can we can we smooth over that and make it faster and easier? Then we'll do it, right? Like that. That's our goal. Well, and at the end of the day, it still feels the same. I'm still unscrewing yeah. a screw. Yeah, you feel fine. I just have less. It doesn't time. really break the immersion. It's crazy. Like it's completely preposterous in real life, but in the real world, like I mean, I guess not completely. We do have electric screwdrivers. No. But- <laughs> yes. But it's this it's this enhanced reality that we're existing in and. And a lot of what we do is we're, we're looking at things in, in training in VR or, or teaching people how to use tools yeah. in VR. But there are still things that are frustrating in real life that we can speed up to help you get through the experience. Yeah, no, another aspect of it is unscrewing something in real life is a lot of fine finger control, which we don't have in VR. Right. And we so have if these, we drew your attention, wands. like I don't unscrew something in real life by moving my entire wrist, right? I just like... <laughs> I do, but I'm different. <laughs> but it's like... You know, that that's something where making it happen automatically saves you from having the immersion breaking experience of I can't use my fingers. Right. And so, right. you know, it, it's it's just very interesting. And VR is full of those moments. And that's why you got to do all the play testing over and over again. And, and you know, we start that process, as someone mentioned earlier, like the brown boxing, like, you know, that's that's where we start that process. Right. And on that note, you talked about the fine motor stuff. So are there any technologies in VR that you're, because the wands are one thing, the Oculus Touch is very exciting with the, 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 the index finger tracking stuff. What are, what are things that you're looking at that you think are, are super dope? What are things that you're kind of hesitant on? What do you think of like Daydream maybe or Leap is another thing? Yeah, Leap. I, 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 uh, I, I've heard, I've heard some things. It's all very promising. I don't know how much I can say. Dan's got a Leap right there. So. Oh, nice. There's a, there's um, there's exciting things happening. I mean, the the knuckles for the Vive are going to be exciting. Um, they, you know, they're. Wait, hold on. What's the knuckles for the Vive? I'm it's, I'm behind. So Sega did a partnership, and they're putting. Shut up, Alan. <laughs> <laughs> it's a classic. Come to life. That was good. That was good. Wow. Vive and knuckles. <laughs> uh, it's Damn a, it's, it, a, it's a it's a new controller they're working on. Um. So it's a it's a it's a different way of because I, I you know the, the the Vive hands were out first they're like some of the best precision um, but man they are uh, ergonomically uh, uh, challenging <laughs> man and teaching the I don't like oh, the teaching grip the people on them. use those grip buttons when we oh. did the when we did the port to the Vive. Uh, of I expect you to die. It was like, oh, this will be easy. It's got a touchpad that we could map to like maybe like a D-pad type of thing, and and you know it's, it's got all the buttons. It's got more buttons. It'll be great. And it's like, wow, like people, <laughs> the way people hold that controller varies so greatly on hand size and like just like we we would have playtesters who were it's like. This is physically painful for me to hold the trigger button and use my thumb on the touchpad. And we're like, well, that's not going to work. We need to fix that. And so we went back to the drawing board. And, uh, you know, to Tyler's credit, he had this thing. Oh, what if we, you know, treat it more as a, as a swipe and we can like kind of like a trackball, like, you know, will that work for TK? And it's like, yeah, yeah, we had sort of a swipe up and down working. 
But still, up and down movement with the thumb when you're holding it in this one position, like, was hurting people's thumbs. So, uh, you know, physically pain, like, this is not good. So then it's like, okay, well, can we support left-right swiping too? Because that doesn't hurt the thumb. And it's like, well, which one do we use? The up-down or the left-right? Well, can we detect which one you want to use? And so we, like, just getting and, – and so we ended up with something that feels pretty good for basically 99% of people. And we were very happy with it that we could, like – so basically when you swipe your thumb left-right or up-down, it sort of detects – is there more movement left to right or up to down or, you know, down to up or right to left? And, uh, and then it will choose that direction – and then it'll do its telekinesis in and out. And so just like just like the different controls for the different, you know, systems, like, my <laughs> God, the iteration is required. It's just like making VR games is tough, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, think, I think you guys nailed it on the Vive, um, but I totally get that. I, I do a lot of my prototyping on the Vive. Um, and so all my user testing has been on the Vive. And just, yeah. you, you know, you're right. It's crazy how people all hold the controllers so differently and and trying to get them yeah. to do, you know, the grips versus the trigger. Uh, and they all, they all yeah. do it completely differently. Oh yeah. And bad. it's just, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. And, and Dan, cause I played, I expect you to die on Dan's vibe as well. And Dan has, um, silicone grips that kind of cover the entirety of it outside of the touchpad. Oh, wow. And there's a button on over top the touchpad, uh, that you use for the freezing yep. when you're using telekinesis, it's hard to reach. which I didn't know was there. Like for like most the tutorial, I was like, all right, what button are they uh, talking no, about? Because yeah, while I was in VR, I like couldn't feel for it. <laughs> yeah, well, and that's that's my fault for having this and, skin and was, over no, the controller. I mean, way to go, we Dan. We know that like we know that go. it's hard to reach the freeze button on the Vive. We know that the button the button is it's we, far. we tried different things. We tried double clicking. We tried holding. Everyone had a bigger downside than making you reach for that freeze button and that's uh, like and it's like oh man yeah i could i could write <laughs> dissertations about screwdrivers and button layouts like, <laughs> like it's just I, crazy uh, how much I would, thought and i would read those iteration i would read them it. but <laughs> and that's what's cool about vr though is that we're in a place where it's it's still new enough that we're just figuring out the very basics of interaction we're like the gamepad for video games and the keyboard and mouse is so iterated on and, and, and refined yeah. but like with vive like i the first time using your telekinesis system that's the first time i've used something like that and, and dance more experience with vr than i am but i thought that was super intuitive yeah. Thank but you. i still had there's a learning curve because it's the there's first time i've done curve, it because yeah. usually i'm you know because alchemy games like job simulator all of i played for them it's just pick up look at yeah. throw away and that's like the most interact like the most intuitive interaction but like that telekinesis system could become standard in five years and everyone's using it i don't know or teleportation in vr is yeah one, where it's becoming more and more and standard we, we've been doing a lot of different uh some of our other uh projects have had you know movement through a vr space and we've we've done a bunch of different ones and we've iterated on them and uh like the tk it's funny i i Man, like, yeah, like that, getting that right. And that, that's why we have you do like the three targets, right? Because we really want to, yep. you know, here's one close, here's one far, here's one far to the right. What is freezing? Is freezing useful? This is where it might be useful. And so we try to do that. And it's like, we had plans for the, you know, the tutorial level or the tutorial puzzle. And it just like the schedules didn't work out and we weren't able to go back and do it. But so it's a little heavy-handed at times, and you know it's not my favorite sometimes, but it gets the job done. Uh, but it is interesting to think about 
um, you know, different ways of teaching people this. And I play other games and I'm like, I'm just going to TK that. Uh, I can't TK. <laughs> like so many <laughs> right. times I'm like, uh, <laughs> I really people want People having it. that experience with like, um, like Breath of the Wild, like now in every other open world third person game, people want to climb anything they right. want to climb because right. of Breath of the Wild. Yeah. yeah. It's it's interesting because like everything you support it and then when you, you know, you know, it just opens up more cans of worms. But and- what I think you guys saw for the TK system is that as much as we want to convey this experience of moving around a space, ultimately when we're doing VR, we're in one space and we're walking around a little bit, but yeah. teleportation is there to solve that. But TK, I can bring the environment to me because I'm physically stationary. And I think what you guys really did well there is that you sell this immersion like, I felt like I was sitting in the car. I felt like I was standing on the window washing unit. And I think that it's stuff like that where, where you guys are advancing that that sensation of it's more convenient for the screwdriver to spin than it is for the user to spin it. It's more convenient to bring the environment to them than to make them go to it. So I think that's that's awesome that you guys are doing that kind of stuff. I'm glad you feel that way because and it's it's we spent a lot of time, you know, trying to get it right. And it's true. Like, I... I play a lot of VR games, obviously. You want you, <laughs> and uh, and I get tired. You know, it's it's. <laughs> I, I like that you can. Is your sit. fitness gotten better with VR? It should be. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm man. Uh, like I I like that. I expect you to die is a game that you can sit like, and I and especially when we when we went live on the Vive, like a lot of people were like, oh, you know, like oh, I don't like sitting experiences, but um, hopefully it speaks for itself and people are enjoying it, and you know. You play a lot of standing. Maybe you want to sit down. Maybe you're a little tired. Like, go ahead and play some I Expect You to Die. Try to get those achievements, you know. Try to get those souvenirs. And uh, <laughs> just relax a little. <laughs> I like yeah, sitting yeah. VR, man. No, I, I'm, I'm I do, all about I do it. too. Uh, I think it, it communicates a really good, um, like, if you know it's a, it's a sitting VR experience. Like, the player, I think, and as VR matures, I think the player is understanding, oh, this is a sit-down experience. There's going to be different expectations versus a stand-up experience. Outside the fact of, like, being able to move around right like like introducing the telekinesis was really smart because you basically made the player the play area as big as you want it to yep. be or as big as you know the sight line can be yeah um without having to you know account for uh the lighthouses or uh, player space yeah and it makes you feel like a superhero <laughs> also that like it's really <laughs> cool i've got the it force that. you know like i got the force <laughs> yes well, and even even, and that's why shooting a gun in VR is fun. Like you don't shoot guns very no, often. No, like there is something inherently exciting about that. That said, my aim is terrible in VR. <laughs> like sh- shooting the gun, and I expect you to die, or the bow and arrow in that one mini game in the lab. <laughs> like I, I, I've I've pretty good accuracy in real life, but in VR, I'm just like I can't. I it's all it's all off. So, Sean, what are some other VR games that you're excited about, or that you've been playing, or games in general? It doesn't have to be just VR. Uh, yeah, no, great question. Um, there's definitely Job Simulator, super hot. Like those are definitely games we played a lot and looked at a lot. Um, man, I, I, although I have to say, I think I played like half of Super Hot on my knees because I was like getting tired again. <laughs> 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 Maybe it's just because I'm too tall. I don't know. But uh, um, the it's interesting. So some of the interactions, we're always looking at things that sort of push the limits of, I am actually super susceptible to motion sickness. Um, uh, me too. So I remember the first time 
I, I played uh, Eve Valkyrie as part of a demo. And I was like, okay, okay, uh, okay. And the guy's like, and this is the roll button. <laughs> and I was like, and this is the make me sick button. And it's like, and uh, I, could, I, I actually couldn't play Valkyrie. But, um, um, oh man, I, I love, like Eagle Flight did so many awesome things and, and a lot. Yes. But the first time I played it was actually at an Oculus event at the GDC. And the the sort of intro tutorial at the time made you hold a banked turn for so long that I was like, I'm sorry, I can't keep playing this. Like, and 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 after <laughs> that, like, I, I talked to other people, and they're like, Oh yeah, like the game itself, like you don't get sick at all, like because you don't have to do like tight turns. And I'm like, Oh, why did you put that tight turn in the tutorial? You're killing <laughs> me, guys. Um, I it's love Eagle Flight. I think it's a great game now, but like, man, it's a canonizing that's ritual. and that's another thing that you iterate on, right? Like, if you find you know, uh, you know, one part of your tutorial is making people sick. Like, you got to rethink that. We we had uh, the beginning of the window washing. We experimented a bunch with you sort of like, you know, you like lifting into place oh. outside the window. And we really thought it was cool. Like, it sold you outside a building and moving and like, nope. Like, we just had to, like, we <laughs> tried so many different things. Come from the down, come from below, go this speed, go that speed. Move you in closer afterwards. Like, nope, nope, it just... Nope, sorry. Well, and that's where that whole acceleration deceleration thing yeah, is so difficult. Exactly. And, yeah, but it's like, like doesn't feel real because in reality, you know, you'd slow down into that, and so it's like, you know. Yeah. So you just got to sort of start it there. And actually, with the uh, you guys, you know, we talked a lot about the uh, the title sequence. When we were doing that, I was like super skeptical when Connor first talked about some of the things he wanted to do, and then you get in there, and you know, that's why it's that, you know, flat you know, matte painted, you know, very no texture, literally, um, style, because you don't have that sense of action. At one point we had some of the credits closer to you, like on the floor. And I like, I was like, I got in there and I looked down and I saw this, this, these, <laughs> these, these words causing vection. And I was like, nope, nope, immediately sick. Get it out of there, Connor, like push it back. I don't care where you put it, but not there. Eject, eject. And, and you know, we, we do get some people who feel a little twinge, like going through the coffin sometimes makes people feel a little twinge. Uh, but it was like, you know, we, 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 have, we actually have a spreadsheet at Shell Games of I am this susceptible to motion sickness or this. That was going to be Man, my next so question was who is the motion, we, who is the motion sickness tester? We have 100 people here and we have their data and we, uh, we test and we use them very sparingly. And we're very nice about it, <laughs> but we do uh, test everything we do with those people because uh, it's very. There's just this poor person in accounting that's the most motion sickness. <laughs> Get in, in there, there Bill. Yeah, All right, Dave, shout come out on. To, to Tim Harley and, uh, and Terry. Tim. There we go. Now we know. Shout out to Tim. But, uh, um, it's funny because like if if Mason and Dan would do that with their colleagues in their in their grad program, I know exactly the person that would be the motion sickness tester, and it would be Colleen. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! Yes, absolutely. Yes, no, for sure. Like this, uh, a friend of ours has such bad motion sickness. She has to sit. She can't. She can't. She can't ride in a seat other than the front seat in the car. Yeah, she has to sit in the front of the yeah, car. Yeah, no, otherwise. I hear you. So, Sean, we uh, we talked about you being at the forefront of VR. You've been doing this for sixteen years now, and you're finally seeing it come come to fruition. Uh, we talked about this amazing game that you guys have made, uh, and and everyone should go out and try it. Um, so what's next? What are you guys working on at Shell? 
What is this twenty fourth talk? Yeah, about? no, we, um, we we've what's coming up? What do you got planned? It's it's Shell's really exciting, and I I love Shell. I've been here thirteen years, and one of the things that you know is so great about it is we do have all these crazy varied projects. We work on everything from theme park attractions to educational games to mobile games to VR, right? And so uh, we've definitely got a lot of VR stuff. We've got things on, you know, we've got projects already like uh, um, uh, Frostbound and the, the Lego Brickheads that are out on the Daydream. We've got new stuff coming out for, uh, for the Oculus. We've got projects we're working on, you know, uh, the, the Tango. We had the Dominoes. We've got the, uh, more projects on the Tango coming out. Um, and when we're we're making more content for I expect you to die, and it's gonna be it's gonna be coming out later this year, um, and just you know, uh, what what am I what am I what am I doing here? Am I what am I doing here? <laughs> I mean, we're making more content. It should be ready before the end of this year for sure. Uh, we're still working out quite the details and the extent of that new content, but and again, this is you know. Uh, you know, VR is 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 an endeavor, and uh, there's a lot that goes into it. And uh, I expect you die is sort of one of our internal IPs. So the Shell Games has you know this this much percentage of of client projects and this much percentage of you know original IP, and sort of you know figuring out those buckets and when to work on the buckets, and you know can you staff the buckets because uh, we've got like you know ten projects going on, right? And so right. I think at its peak, when we were originally, you know, okay, the demo did really well. That was the demo I think we did with like six and a half, maybe seven people, depending on how you count core art, as we call it, like sound effects and effects and visual effects and things like that. That's our core art that's sort of spread across a lot of the projects. Uh, QA is the same way. Um, but uh, so it's like, okay, that demo did really good. How many people can we put on I Expect You to Die and for how long? And so that schedule sort of evolved from that. And then there was a longer tail because we wanted to do the ports and figure out which ports we were going to do first and uh, what was the release dates that we're going to support and um, you know, availability of development kits and things like that. All of that went into that. And I think at the most, we maybe had 16 at once, but that was just for a very brief of time. And it was like, you know, the development cycle sort of ebbs and flows. Uh, short answer is we're definitely working on more content it's gonna be it's gonna be released before the end of the year. Uh, hopefully, it'll be. I actually think it uh, it's some of the best content we've made for the game. I'm super excited. Ooh, I'm excited. Uh, uh, the you know we do the whole process right. You know, brown boxing, everything like that. It's it's it's, uh, it's coming along. It's gonna be super awesome. It was really it was really interesting watching your talk because I could kind of. There was the part where you were talking about making more levels yeah. when you saw that there was there was interest in the game beyond the original prototype, and you talked about okay, first we we white boxed it, which was your um, basically going into Unity and and mapping out the entire level just using basic Unity cubes, um, so you didn't have to make a lot of custom assets, yep. you know, and and going through and and splitting out into small teams like four or five person teams and and thinking up ideas for levels. And you started talking about that, and then you said, and then we tried playtesting it, and I just said out loud, it was like, and the levels sucked, and then you go, and the levels sucked, and I was like, exactly, because, yep. and kind of w going back to what you mentioned a little earlier on about playtesting, is 
you know, Mason, if case hasn't become clear yet, like Mason and Dan work on uh, VR and for their full-time jobs. And then Mason and I work on game development um, in our free time uh, for our startup. Um, And we've done events like we've, we uh, were invited to MAGFest to demo one of our games. And uh, we've done a couple more events um, uh, since then at the beginning of the year. And it's just, you know, it, it might seem obvious to you, but like for people that are just starting out, it's very important to say, you know, playtesting is important. Yes. And it's, 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 you know, in a professional environment, you know, you have the ability to attract people to play test it or attract your colleagues who aren't working on the game to try to play test the game. But, you know, for independence, it's, it's, you can only get so many people and attract them with beer and pizza to your house to have them try out your game. <laughs> so like events like like a PAX East or, or even stuff way smaller than that where for larger firms like yours where it's a marketing opportunity or like um, a commercial opportunity for people like us it's much more a like we need people to like tell us what they think of the game in terms of a playtesting thing like does this thing have legs well, and, on, and on that note Sean maybe you can speak to this like how do you guys work testing into your dev cycles like is it do you plan it out or are you like all right we know we need to test this thing now like how does that look internally for Shell? So, uh, so let, let's see. Let's let's. I'll, I'll uh, use my memory to go back to say the sub level. Um, you start with a ton of brainstorming, and you've that's sort of the concept phase of 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 a level, and then you distill that down to okay. Here is a player experience of. The you know probably the main path with some secondary paths thrown in there and some contingency plans thrown in there, and then you sort of turn that into a uh, a brown box script as I call it, and that is the okay I'm gonna be the I'm gonna be the dungeon master, and and we're gonna we're gonna build this physically, and it's it's great because like. You know, number one, you don't need new tech. You don't need new art. Nope. You just need some cardboard and a bunch of crazy crap you find lying around your house or the office. Love it. And what's really fun is everyone on the team can contribute. Like, you know, you know, you're building it and like I come back the next day and someone's like added this thing or this little, you know, you know, and it's like, ah, that's great. Like, look at that thing they added. Like, you know, and it's just like everyone can contribute and it's just so good because all these great ideas come out and manifest in this real concrete way. Right. Well, and the funny thing about this, and this is a, a personal anecdote that I think is so prescient to what you guys are doing with brown boxing and, and how you're doing it. Uh, and, and this story of <laughs> uh, people just coming in and, and just doing it. Yeah. I was trying to explain to my mother what I do, which, uh, of course, <laughs> right, uh, as we all know, is always fun. And and I was talking about VR and I was talking about experience design and what the UX process is like uh, from strategy to UI and everything in between. And, and she's like, oh, so basically what you do is like when you were a kid and you used to grab these boxes, these cardboard boxes, and you make <laughs> things and you would imagine things. Uh and I was like, yes, that is what I do. Uh, I do that for a living now. Um, yep. <laughs> yes, mom, I'm a professional child. Yeah. So it's just funny to see that that's a prototyping tool that you're using in the field and it's it's working well. Um, I just, I, I think it was, it's yeah. fantastic. No, I, I mean, well, we, great we've made it. it. We're getting paid to be. No. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> it's, it's great. I agree with that point. <laughs> yes. But what's great about brown boxing too is it's it's the most true prototyping process to what VR does well. Yeah, it's you immersed in the space, 
and kind of sacrificing your reality to this greater reality, not greater, virtual reality. And I think that, and, and I learned brown boxing from your talk. Yeah. But that is something that I think that Dan and I are going to try to work into our workflow where we work professionally as like, it is the fastest way to prove out ideas. Uh, and yeah. I think it's a very, very smart way to do it. I can't, I can't recommend it enough. I'm actually, I'm actually writing a chapter in a, in a book about brown boxing, I will. and I, I hope to give a talk on it soon. Because um, at, at, at first blush, you're just like, oh, I get it. Like, use some cardboard and do this thing. It's actually, there, there's some gotchas and some, some just like, it's like some things it does really, really well, and some things like, oh, like, you know, just, just, just real quick, like, if, you know, if something is too obvious because you've, you know, everything else is cardboard, but there's this one thing. Like, now the player knows that one thing is important. But when you add a bunch of, you know, when you're in the real game and everything's got textures and everything's got lighting and it doesn't stick out like a sore thumb, is that still going to read? Like, you have to worry about that in white boxing too. Like, when you get final lighting, we got to do a lot of more, a lot more playtesting because now that that's got final lighting, that thing's a little in shadow. No one notices it. The whole thing's ruined. Like, oh, God. Like, we had that experience multiple times, right? And it's like... With the car drawer even where there's just yeah, a Yeah, yeah, no. And like, yeah, yeah. and so sometimes you've got to art up more of your brown box <laughs> in other parts just because you don't want the clue to stick out like a sore thumb. And like... Art up or shut up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And that's, you know, that's very specific to puzzles, but I think that goes for any VR experience, right? Like there is times when, you know, it's not going to stand out that much in the final thing. And you've got to be aware of that and you've got to design around it. And yeah, it's just, it's so interesting, Um, but it continues to be a great tool. Awesome. So Sean, uh, there's one big thing that I have to know that I just have to know. Oh man. Sean, this has been an ongoing narrative in my friendship with Dylan. I want you to understand what's about to come towards you. Sean. And I want to apologize. <laughs> Sean, you said you worked at Imagine, you interned at Imagineering. Yeah. Tell me about Toontown. <laughs> because I, as a kid, because like you said, 13 years ago, so I would have been like 11 or 12. 11 or 12-year-old Dylan never played Toontown, but he was indoctrinated with those advertisements of Toontown Online. Tell me anything you could tell me about Toontown Online. <laughs> <laughs> wait, so, wait, let me get this straight. You never played it? No, no, but <laughs> look, these ads ran all we the time. We didn't have fast internet where we're from, I understand. Sean. Hey, it worked over a modem, but anyway, go on. I was a ne- You're probably right. Neopets guy. That's all I was. Yes, Neopets. Understood. Um, t- I mean, Toontown's great. I love Toontown. So, uh, so yeah, Jesse was the you know creative director on that. And uh, we, we actually, so I worked on it while I was at Imagineering. I did... Uh, a lot of work on Match Mini, if you're familiar with the trolley games, uh, some of the other trolley games, <laughs> the, the Toon Creator, I, I, I updated some parts of that that needed to, to be different or work better. Um, but then I, I, I probably did the most work on Toontown actually at Shell Games. Like we did Toontown parties uh, with the party planner and, uh, you know, what activities were available at the Toontown parties. <laughs> and, you know, it turns out you can host parties for all your Toon friends. And uh, we did uh, part of the Toontown Raceway. And it's funny, I'm actually... I do remember uh, Toontown Raceway. I do remember that. I'm actually speaking on a Toontown panel at, Re- yes! at, at Replay FX, uh, which is in Pittsburgh. It's this big uh, gaming conference uh, in Pittsburgh because uh, Toontown has had legs. Even, you know, even after Disney had to pull the plug on it, there's, um, 
It's been reborn. I don't know if you're familiar with the reborn Toontown, uh, Joey Toontown, Z. Uh, Toontown VR. What's that? Toontown VR? <laughs> to- I don't know about that. But, Toontown, uh, <laughs> a realm reborn. <laughs> it's, it's, it's crazy. I mean, that was a game that a lot of people loved and grew up with. I've received random phone calls on my personal line, like with people telling me how great I did a job I did. I'm like, who is this? What are you talking about? And they're like, Toontown. Oh, I'm I like, tell you how much I, I love Toontown. I did work on Toontown, but that was a long time ago. And they're like, we love it. We love Toontown. I'm like, okay, that's awesome. You know, that is awesome. That's great. That's funny. Yeah, for me, it's been, like like I said, I never played like I played a lot of WoW, and then I played Neopets when I was little, but like. These ads, like, Sean, like, these ads ran all the time. <laughs> like, you would watch an hour block of cartoons on Disney Channel, and you would see at least three Toontown ads. Like, it was crazy. Oh, That's so. There's a lot of people that were impacted by Toontown. Yeah, you, even <laughs> those I, uh, who didn't play it, apparently. I, I think I missed this whole thing. <laughs> well, Dan, you were, You're like... too busy... Dan was too busy hanging out in the virtual right. boy, <laughs> yeah. which is like somewhere I do around. Have my virtual boy. We got one boy. of those at the office. Yeah, that's classic. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Classic. I got one sitting right over there, right behind me. <laughs> right next to the Vive. <laughs> Sometimes he gets confused and gets in the virtual boy when he's prototyping, and he's like, what the fuck? And he's like, when did they bring Warrior Land to the Vive? This is awesome. <laughs> the Vive is so red now. <laughs> oh, All right. Man. Well, Sean, thank you so much for, for, for joining us. This was it's been a- really illuminating we really appreciate you taking the time out of your day oh no it's it's a pleasure thanks for talking to me yeah thanks for the great questions thanks sean um and for anyone listening i expect you to die uh it's available on steam uh oculus store oculus Uh, psvr psvr all that fun stuff if it's got if it's got six stuff it's got i expect you to die it's (laughs) so do it yes do it anyone out there with a headset uh go out and get it you will you will yeah, thank you so much. Greatly appreciate it. Cool. And since we're on, and your t- your Toontown talk will be yeah, yeah. Replay FX. Uh, check it out in the in Pittsburgh. It's uh, I think it's in June, June, late June. We'll be there. Cool. <laughs> I, perfect. Maybe. And uh, uh, if anyone out there listening wants to follow you on Twitter or any other social yeah, media, yeah, Twitter's probably my so it's uh, at Sean Design S H A W N D E S I G N at Sean Design. Mason, Dan, where they where can they find you? At Sean Design. Yeah, at yeah, Sean Design. <laughs> no, Dan and I are at the, the shocko.com site <laughs> and on the blog there. <laughs> That's where you can find us lately. Uh, at Dan Cotting for me, uh, Twitter and Medium. Also at Dan Cotting. I write about my VR stuff there. War-games.com, Dylon. Where you can find this podcast and our projects at War-games. VR project coming soon. Woo. No. Toontown VR. Is that taken? I don't know. Get it. Scoop um, it up. We'll have to buy it from Disney. Sean, it has been an absolute pleasure, man. Thank you so much. Thanks, guys. Thank you very much. Thanks, Sean. Take care. Bye.